There you go. Need an, another dose of audio medicine by Green Zone Hero here on Straight Out of Combat Radio, Mr. Edwin Richardson of Richardson Strategy LLC. What a phenomenal guy. Oh, absolutely. I was just so impressed with just his level head idness, <laughs> if that's a that's a term, but just his wisdom and his the way he delivered it and um He's just such an incredible asset to not only civilians and educating, but to the veterans and, and helping people realize their potential, but also recognizing that they still have a purpose, you know, like we discussed and, and your article discussed as well as, you know, we still have a purpose when we get out of the military and there's so, so, we're such an asset to, the, to this country and to the world and, and the things that we can do. And he just so clearly articulated it in a way that civilians could recognize that as well as military veterans and just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. What I like what he said, you know, was pretty clear about how dynamic things truly are and that you don't have to do things the status quo way. There's always alternatives. And, you know, he's a guy that goes in and analyzes and looks for alternatives and find, finding solutions to challenges for business and people. And he has a great, unique style and approach. And I look forward to the future with him for sure. And I'm definitely blessed to have him on our show today. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, interested to follow him and, and see where he goes and all the amazing things that he's going to do. Well, thanks, Nina, for making this another special episode. I look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Thank you. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight Welcome to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero, where we honor freedom to improve business. Straight Outta Combat Radio is the platform, the voice for veterans to share their personal stories, and we honor their wisdom. And we want to diminish the negative stereotypes of veterans. My name is John Krotek. I'm a U.S. Army veteran, and I was an NBC NCO. And I'm Nina Herman, U.S. Army veteran, and I was a finance officer. Our veteran guest today is Edwin Richardson, Jr., United States Air Force Combat Controller. He retired after 20 years of active duty to our country. During his time in service, he was stationed in various locations across the United States and throughout the world to include six years in Okinawa, Japan, as well as a large portion of that time served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Edwin Richardson's experience includes deployments involving humanitarian aid, disaster relief efforts both on our nation's land and abroad, and ground combat operations in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom, and Inherent Resolve. Edwin has been awarded multiple Bronze Stars with Valor for direct ground combat actions to include citations for service during natural disaster planning and rescue operations. Mr. Richardson has mastered the tools necessary to motivate and create effective teams, develop and guide future leaders, prioritize lines of effort, conflict resolution, and risk mitigation, as well as maximizing overall personnel personal and operational performance. Currently, Edwin is the owner and founder of Richardson Strategy, LLC. His organization is dedicated to helping businesses, organizations, and their leadership to get on the right track. He is also the chief operating officer of Stealth Performance Communications, a cutting-edge tech company with improving the capabilities of our first responders. Welcome, Edwin, to Straight Out of Combat Radio. Hey, guys, I appreciate it very much. This is an incredible opportunity. Well, we're glad you're here. Let's get started. You know, uh, that's pretty impressive. You know, right b- before the show, 
uh, Nina was asking me, you know, what, what's a V device? And uh, I said, that's for direct combat. And you don't see many of those V devices around. So pretty impressive. We're glad you made it back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I am too. <laughs> I figured you would be. Who did you idolize or who did you look up to when you were growing up and where did you grow up? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a small town about an hour south of Houston, Texas, uh, called Angleton Lake Jackson. It's a group of small towns, uh, very small. As far as idolizing, uh, I would probably have to look up to uh, my late mom who uh, passed away last year. But her work ethic and her drive to keep things going for the family was really what instilled into me and things that I looked up to and wanted to say everything that she has done right now, that is my goal to overcome and achieve and push beyond that measure. And I think that's really what stands out and defines a little bit of who I am, where I've come from and where I'm going. That's pretty cool. Why did you decide to join the Air Force in the first place? Uh, I had to get out of that little town. <laughs> I had to go somewhere. School at that point in time, uh, I was not at the level of school wasn't for me at that time. I needed to get out of there. It was either falling into the same type of uh, career work uh, at one of the chemical plants that everybody else falls into uh, or school or the military. So I chose the military and my dad served in the Air Force. My mom's uh, family served in the Air Force. And that's the route that I chose because I mean, it seemed like there was more options other than the exact same, uh, I don't know, positions available that I've heard from many other professionals that have joined their various branch of service, but kind of following his uh, tradition. What was the um, basic training like for you? What was it like to transition from high school? How was that? Wow. So, yeah, in, in high school, uh, I was an athlete. I was actually very, very small. So... I graduated high school weighing about 121 pounds. Wow. Um, I ran, I was a little bitty dude. I ran track, I ran cross country uh, in my own uh, mind and, you know, from what was advertised and what I've done, I was, I was very fast. Going to basic training in the Air Force uh, was not challenging to me at all. It, it, I don't know, like I get the purpose of paying attention to detail. I, I understand that. And I think the overall concept, which I didn't grasp at the time, but looking back now, I absolutely understand why they focus and why they structure it around the avenues and what is designed and its purpose is. I, I just wish I'd known a little more about that at that point in time. But uh, I lost a little bit of my athletic capability going through basic. And I had to make up for that. Well, so what was your most memorable moment that you remember about basic? What stuck uh, out? What stuck out the most? I'm sure there are lots of things, but you know. What one event happened, man, that just, holy cow, this is real. So I, <laughs> I broke into our civilian locker, me and a couple of buddies in our, uh, in our basic training flight, and we got out our, our old school CD Walkman. I'm sure you guys remember those. You oh, know, yeah. Like I had a CD Walkman. You're dating yourself now, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and a pair of boxer shorts. So we got in there, and I, I grabbed a pair out, and I'm laying on our day room couch listening to my music and sitting in a pair of boxer shorts and our ti walks in oh. and uh just hems me up like nobody not it let me know real quick that i may be an adult but i still answer to somebody and i just messed up big time that's funny man that's hilarious <laughs> now is a ti like the same as a drill sergeant it's exactly yeah it's the exact same thing just the air force's uh, acronym for it 
Was that like on the weekend you thought you were going to bust the stuff out and not get caught or what? Absolutely. I didn't think they would want to spend much of their time there on the weekend. I figured they have families, they have things they want to do. So, you know, took a little nap on the couch, turned the lights on. It was funny when he walked in, he turned the lights on. And I didn't even look to see who it was, but I was like, hey, man, turn those lights out. I'm taking it. (laughs) Man, that's a great story. He turns the lights out and he turns them right back on. And I open my eyes and look over and I'm just like, you know, Uh oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you have to do? What was your punishment? So our day room matched up to an all-female flight. So he stands me up in front of everybody and he opens up the door that separated our two walls and calls them all in. He's like, oh, Mr. Richardson has some music going on here. Apparently he likes to perform a little bit, kick back laying around. So they made me act out and put on a skit to I'm a little teapot in front of all the flights. And the- oh, man, I, I, I see the visual right now. You know, it's great. Yeah, it was humiliating and, uh, and fun at the same time. And uh, let me know that uh, I need to get my shit together and. And uh, drive on. <laughs> so you you did high security in the Air Force. We know it's real technical. Is that the, what you initially did right away when you got out of your training? So you're talking about as a combat controller? Yes. Yeah, so when I joined the Air Force, I had no idea the Air Force even had a community that dealt with anything with ground combat operations. We knew nothing about it. Uh, I came in. I loved flying. I loved traveling. So... I was actually coming in to be a aircraft maintenance, and I wanted to travel with my assigned aircraft. Uh, during basic training, these these big, tough, big, bad dudes came in and said, hey, if you want to be a part of the best of the best, come and try out and see what it's all about. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Went and tried out, did really well, but I just wasn't quite strong enough, so I didn't make it. Uh, they sent me back, and I told myself in a couple of years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend this time training, and I'm going to get to where I want to be, and I'm going to try it again. And that's, in a sense, what happened. took a little longer than a couple of years, but that's what happened. I went back and I made it through combat control pre-selection, went through combat control, the two-year, well, the one-year pipeline, and then the one-year advanced skills training course before I went operational. You know, backing up there, you know, you're totally right that not many people realize that the Air Force has these, you know, these high-speed units like that, and um, pretty impressive. Now, what was what was required to be able to to be accepted into that? Sure. So there's a the initial entry uh, physical ability and stamina test is actually fairly simple, um, but it's designed to put you at a standard where they can put everybody on a baseline and move forward and choose from there and identify who's really going to drive forward and put in the effort and push beyond those limitations when things get really hard. So it was a it was a 500 meter uh, surface swim, and a one and a half mile run, push ups, pull ups, and sit ups. I I love that you you know you didn't make it, but you knew that that was the target that you wanted to to overcome, and and you did it. I love hearing those stories. It is. I've always been a big fan of the underdog, and when I walked in to you know really visualize who my other quote unquote competitors were that were trying out for the same positions, these dudes were monsters. It's like they knew everything about what this was, knows everything that at that time that I visualized what a Green Beret was, what a Navy SEAL was. Like, that's what stuck out in my mind. And when I saw these guys, that's what I saw. And I'm standing there, this little bitty dude, 124 pounds, and I'm like, I am about to get destroyed. uh, (laughs) (laughs) What kept you focused? Just that those visuals of those high speed teams. 
Uh, I think it was uh, seeing that my level of physical ability uh, and how well I did in all the uh, areas that were required except for just the strength phase. I just wasn't quite strong enough for the pull-ups and what was required for the pull-ups. And I was like, great. Uh, I have a starting point. I have a baseline. I know what that looks like. And as much as I, I really loved being in aircraft maintenance, I loved working on my platform. I loved traveling with my platform. I loved the mission, everything that went about it. But it just turned to the point where I no longer was able to travel with my aircraft. And I was just a guy that, you know, the managers and upper level leadership, if you want to call them that, pointed the finger at when things went bad. So that was a lot of motivation. Knowing that I did well enough, but I had a little more to grow and some gains that I had to make. And seeing that I was no longer happy with where I was at in my current career and I needed to make a change. So that change was either commit and follow through with combat control or leave the Air Force. Wow. So what went through your mind when you got accepted into the to be a combat controller? Were you relieved? <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, looking forward to now knowing what you're gonna, about to do, is that a... I have an issue with not wanting to talk into the mic. <laughs> no, you're fine. I think uh, the most of it, there's always the fear of the unknown when you go into these high-speed career fields. And uh, there's always a certain expectation and a certain standard that needs to be set. So uh, I really looked back at what I learned from being in aircraft maintenance. And this is one of the things I really like to highlight. You, There's a big movement and hey identify who made that positive impact on you who was that mentor for you which i think this day and age mentor is very loosely thrown around yeah but one of the things i really paid attention to was who were the individuals that made that impact based off their poor choices making bad decisions where did i learn from that how did that impact the other professionals around me and what were the learning points from that? Did I take you know any kind of accountability for what took place? Uh, was that something that could be learned? Was you know how big of an effect did that make on our community? So I paid attention to that. I took notes on that, and uh, those are the things that I really focused on that really drove my performance in combat control with what I understood and the leadership and capability that I wanted to be and I wanted to provide for all the other men that were going through that course. Definitely some great points because people don't really think about that. And you're right, mentorship is thrown around loosely these days. And it's amazing how these people, these incidences can make these huge impacts in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Now tell us about some of the things that you did as a combat controller. We know that you're deployed a significant amount of time, but what did you do on those deployments? What were you responsible for? Uh, you know, so looking at a combat control, we do a wide array. I mean, it really fits the the model of a jack of all trades, a master of none. And I really like that. I really liked that um, there was a specific area that I was the subject matter expert in when I was assigned to a Navy SEAL team or an MSOT or a Special Forces team or a group of rangers, or even an international team, whatever that looked like, there was something very, very specific that I was there to bring to that team. But in all the other areas, and when you look at a special forces team or Navy SEAL team, they have identifiers on the professional that's on that team. You have a weapon sergeant, you have a comm sergeant, you have an intelligence guy, all these different little pieces. So I like to use uh, the term, nah, I, I can't think of it, but 
we, we kind of blend in. If there is ever a situation where we have a worst case scenario, somebody gets shot and goes down, we're qualified enough and experienced enough to fill that void and assist that team or whatever needs to be taken care of while still presenting and providing our specific capabilities for that team. And really the most part was we were the we were the air to ground liaison between the aircraft overhead, the senior uh, leadership back at your tactical operations centers to our ground force commander who we were running with on the ground. So definitely an integral part of these special operations units. You know It is it's unique in the sense that there's so much that's not discussed with our involvement. And when I say our, that's collectively for the ST community. You know, it's they really highlight and define the quiet professional. Uh, there's no need to boast. There's no need to gloat. There's no need to really present, you know, our accomplishments other than just what our performance has been. Uh, if you were a part of what we were involved in, then that, that's enough that we need to speak about. And we cherish those relationships that we build based on what we've been through with those other professionals. That's an awesome way of looking at it. How did your experience in your deployments impact you? You know, it's, wow, that, that is probably one piece of the conversation that could take this into multiple conversations and go on for a very long time. Multiple ways, everything from how I viewed myself and how I thought professionals viewed me and the experience I gained uh, from either working with uh, other partner forces and civilians and whether it's a training exercise, uh, a direct humanitarian aid, disaster relief effort, um, whether it's uh, direct ground combat operations, uh, you know, everything provides something very, very significant. But what is standard across the board for me was how I took all these little pieces and I put them together and I utilized that and focused on how to amplify that and provide that back to those who are coming after me to take my place down the road that they can learn from not my accomplishments, not what I've done, but where I made mistakes and how they can do better than I did. That's amazing. We're talking with Edwin Richardson on Straight Out of Combat Radio, United States Air Force veteran controller. And we're learning a lot about things that I had no idea about. I, I knew the Air Force had some high speed units, but you're like the first guy that we've ever, that I've ever talked to. And that's done those kinds of things. You know, we know you're all over the U S we know you were in Japan. Tell us about what it was like to be in a, in a hostile environment. Uh, I don't know. I like, I kind of feel like that was probably my more comfortable locations. I, I like being under pressure. I like working in a sense where, I'm in a position where I'm surrounded by professionals that I hope are better than me. I know how hard I trained. I know the efforts I put in to put me in the position where I'm at right now to bring to the table, to bring to that fight. And it's good to know that when I go out with these teams, I'm surrounded by professionals I can no kidding rely on. Quote, unquote, excuse my language, but when shit hits the fan, you're at a level of, of experience and expertise that there's no questions involved. Everybody knows exactly what has to be done and you just do it there. There's no questions. There's no asking. It's, it's unique in the sense and you have that responsibility uh, at any level, but as long as you're in that capacity and that team to move, you're addressing those concerns, whether it's a civilian casualty, whether it's a collateral damage concern, it's our determination 
you know, whether that is a valid enemy target or not, and how do we move forward with that? And how are we, you know, really utilizing these upwards of billions of dollars in assets overhead to accomplish that objective and move forward? And the overall objective is, is not just to meet the end state of that con op, but to make sure we take care of each other and we all get home to our family and friends. Now, coming from that environment and, and your love for being in, in pressure and, and where you at, and I think you illustrated well about, you know, just the power and the, I don't want to say benefit, and there's another word that I'm looking for, but of just how great the military is and the camaraderie that you build and the, the way that you're able to um, attack, maybe not attack, um, the way that you're able to accomplish things together as a team and you're relying upon one another. But how did you transition from that environment to coming back to a civilian world? Uh, There's a couple of times it was very confusing. It was very hard. I mean, I've, I've definitely hit some some lows here and there, but it was all an experience where I was able to identify those who really had a, a compassion and care for my better being to really bring me up and, and help me with that transition and moving forward. The, the understanding, uh, the difference in just being a statistic which I think a lot of civilians and I think uneducated civilians who aren't aware, if you've been in combat, automatically you have PTS and or you have some sort of psychological thing, disorder, whatever you want to call it, because of that. And I, I completely disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree. But it took a lot for me to just identify myself what that was and, and how to overcome that and what was more important to me what I really wanted to do with educating those others around me, not necessarily just other veterans, but just people overall, like this is what this really means. And you can take it from me that this is what this means, but that's just my opinion based on my experiences. If you talk to 20 other veterans that have dealt or not dealt with combat, their definition of understanding of that could be very different from mine. And it should be. Well, this, you know, that's a great question, Nina, and this leads to something that I know that Edwin and I have talked about before offline. You know, we have a purpose in the military, and one thing that you hit upon is the teamwork effort. And one thing that I know that Nina is real high on, and I know you are, Edwin, in your own company, is trust. And I think that, you know, leaving the military environment when you come back into the civilian world, sometimes it's hard to define that trust. Because sometimes we're operating in an environment that doesn't really necessarily understand teamwork or the componentry or the complexity of the type of missions that you ran. And that's why I think that you are such a great benefit to the civilian world, Edwin, because you bring that skill set and that experience and chaos that can actually help people. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say, uh, the transition for me personally, and I know for a lot of us, is the trust and the teamwork mentality you know how do we find that again does any of that make sense yeah it is absolutely and it's i think it's always an ongoing process uh you know so when i did my transition from the military and i was going to my veteran civilian status i had a plan and that's you know where i feel really comfortable based on my experience i i'm good at strategy i'm good at planning and i built this entire plan i built roadblocks i built different avenues and what that was going to look like And if we went off course, how to get back on course, things to identify how that was going to happen. My plan was to continue on my education and go to medical school. And I wanted to uh, take that route. Life threw, uh, you know, a curveball and blessed my wife and I with twin sons. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. 
priorities had to change as much as I was driven and dedicated and planned out and focused on going to school and being a doctor and moving forward to provide my family. Things change where I need to do something right now. So this is a little bit what led into where trust came from. You know, when I started applying for other jobs and I figured out how I was going to better support and provide for my family, probably the biggest thing was the, the organizations and professionals that I was interviewing with and even accepted the job for a little bit to get a, a little more income in for some time. But our values just didn't line up. We had a very different purpose and where we wanted to go and how we could really amplify and capture our capabilities, our efforts to maximize that effort of the organization of what they should be doing and how they move forward. And I'm, I'm sure uh, I would hope anybody else would understand this, but if you're being interviewed by somebody and you're correcting that professional on their own process and what that means, how that takes place, that's an early uh, identifier that this is not who I should be working with and working for. And I'm absolutely going to have a problem answering to you. You know, I, that's where the Richardson unlimited strategy team came from. And I did that because I liked the trust, you know, acronym to back that up. I really had to sit down and focus on what stood me and trust apart from all these other organizations, all these other professionals that were doing really business management consulting and performance consulting and things like that. And it's not just based on, oh, this guy must know what he's doing. He's been in combat. He's done this. That's awesome. Or this guy's managed this many people. He has to be awesome. Or he's been doing it for 20 years. He has to be awesome. And I started looking at that. And it's just because you've been doing it for 20 years doesn't mean you're the best at it. That just means you've been doing it for 20 years. Okay. What progress have you made? What, what impact have you made? And that's where you brought up a little bit uh, at the beginning, John, when you're talking about legacy and things like that. So I really focused on what stood me apart. And I looked at trust and I fig- had to figure out how do I market that? How do I put that out there? And I was like, well, it's through education. Like I have to educate my potential client. I have to educate my my potential partners on what our process is, how to recognize and understand that very loosely thrown around acronym ROI or return on investment. <laughs> there are a lot of times that you can't measure that and you have to understand that there has to be some risk involved. And if it wasn't a risk, it almost wouldn't be worth it in a lot of occasions. That's why you see some of these companies blow up the way they do. But it's educating them on how to transition and understand the risk to an investment and understanding how that takes place. So there, there's a lot of things that we started to put out there. And I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of times the initial conversations that I had with other companies didn't go my way. I had to learn a lot of failures. I had to learn a lot of uh, different ways that I was told no, that's not what we're looking for and how I could better communicate my capability and the professionals that I bring on board, our capability to benefit their efforts. You know, I'm so glad that you pointed a couple of things out. I know that I get schooled all the time around here by Nina and other people, but education is, uh, is, is, I'm glad you pointed that out because it is so very important. Uh, without education, th- you, we can't move forward. You're right. Somebody's in a position for just 20 years, and what have they done? I think the education is important, and, and obviously communication and trust. But I, you know, I know I'm in the right place when, when I'm speaking to people. And you know what? And ROI. You're the, you're the first person that we've had on Straight Out of Combat Radio in a business capacity that has talked about ROI. 
And you know what, Edwin? It is a risk. Sometimes we don't measure ROI in dollars and cents. Sometimes we measure it in intrinsic value, which eventually may lead to more dollars and cents. But I love your approach, and uh, we want to hear more about it. Tell us some, some of what, you're, what you specialize in or some of your most your, memorable clients or what you've done. We don't uh, advertise on our website. We don't advertise like who we've worked with, wherefore we identify the industry that we've made an impact and uh, how we've moved forward on that. The reason why is I've learned this from two other consulting professionals that uh, schooled me and it was, it was something similar to receiving a military evaluation. Okay, so I remember the first evaluation I, I turned in, I got it back and it was just red inked all over the place. So that's kind of what this looked like. <laughs> this guy spit me out. I had a couple of those. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Uh, and it was great. So learning how to have uh, thick skin and receive constructive criticism played a big part here. Uh, but I think probably some of the biggest impacts I've made or work with a couple of companies and we do a strategy planning process that I bring directly from uh, my time working in combat situations when I'm trying to influence those higher leaders to really give the team that I'm assigned to and our capabilities the opportunity to accomplish this objective over another team's. And what I do this is it's done through a three COA development process. Uh, COA standing for course of action. And I just had this conversation with another organization who was trying to present their capabilities. And this is what I love where this stands out. So across the board, almost all of them, it's, you know, we're here to make the process easier for you. So you just let us know where your problems are and we just do it for you. Okay. That uh, to a point, I understand that. I absolutely understand, you know, the, the marketing concept behind it, that now you've, you've worked on gaining a returning customer because you didn't teach them anything or show them how to do it. You just did it for them, and then when they see it again, they still don't know how to get through that obstacle. So we took a different approach. Through our three code development, we give you three different avenues to get that organization or that professional from point A to point B. Each avenue is a very different process to get there, but each one is designed to meet their end goal. Each one, we spend time and we really focus on meeting those choke points, those roadblocks. Uh, what is going to fail? What's not going to fail? If we see this... How do we know we've seen it? And when we do need it, how do we get back on course? So it's through that education process and how I've been able to accomplish my missions on the battlefield is how I've been able to translate that to an organization to get from point A to point B. And, you know, that that young junior VP that wants to make a big impact, this is a big advocate to show his upper level leadership, hey, this is what we worked on. We went outside the standard or what we've been doing for the past years, but now we've developed multiple avenues to get from here to here, and we've also identified what we can potentially fail at on the way. I love that approach. So, yeah. Yeah, and I get a lot of flack and a lot of companies that come back that are competitors of mine saying, well, if you teach them how to do it, how do you know they're going to come back? Another great question. I love it. It's just like warfare. You look at any combat zone in the history of mankind up into a current day, the, the battlefield is constantly evolving. It is always evolving. There's always change. So even if I taught you the exact method that I can apply to get you from point A to point B, 
economy and business process and sales, marketing, everything is constantly evolving. So you have a baseline, you have something to work off of to get you there. And the idea was to do just that. So now you have a starting point in your next endeavor, in the next obstacle that you're going to run into. So now if you want to call me back, it's probably you're calling me back because I taught you how to do this and you love the outcome. But now I don't have to spend two million of your dollars going through the exact same process, but really streamlining what I've already taught you to identify what your next goal is. That's absolutely, that's an awesome approach because, you know, as you pointed out, Ed, when, you know, life is dynamic, the business world is dynamic, it can change hourly. And though we might possess the skill sets for one problem, that doesn't mean we have them for the next one. Your relationship, is it fair to say with your companies, your clients, is dynamic and it just grows it is and we love it we've it, it's really it's important to me just as anything that it's not just choosing the right professionals to come on board uh trust and richardson strategy but it's also making sure that we're working with the right clients we're working we're partnering with the right organizations like all this has to match you can have the biggest problem in the world that could potentially make me 50 million dollars but if I haven't made an impact on your growth and your development and all I'm going to do is deal with just a lot of feedback of negative and like you're not accepting the change and how it's developed, we're not really making the headway that your company wants to grow at. And there's other problems that are aligning there that we have not yet addressed. So it's important to identify that from the very start and very early before you commit and obligate yourself to something that you're not going to be happy with, you're not going to be completely 100% focused on providing your best capability for that client. I, I, I love your dedication, your commitment to improving a, a business and, and having a long-term impact, having a, leaving a legacy behind. What would you say is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Great question. And where, and where do you want to be in five years? Ah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Man, I don't know what legacy I want to leave behind just yet. I, I think it's just by my nature of wanting to do good by people that when they know they're, they're talking to me or somebody on my team, they know they're getting genuine concern and compassion for what their efforts are, what they need out of this. And it's through showing them how to be better based on my failures. And I think that's a big focus on everything that was driving my performance growth through the military to what I want to do now. It's how, what am I doing now to make you better than I was? I love that. Failing forward. And now you're, you're able to help others through your failures and, and help them even to some degree fail forward as well. Yeah, it's very unique. It's very different. It's a, it's a balance. It's a good balance between understanding, uh, exceeding the standard what everybody talks about you know like we're expecting you to meet the standard meeting the standard is already a failure you know it's understanding how to exceed those standards and understanding the difference between our evolving business way and economy and our growth as a as a global scale between innovation and disruption understanding what that is i had a another business owner attempt to school me a while back and this leads into uh, your question john where i want to be in five years attempt to school me very early on in where I was and you know he threw in my face oh you know I have this many employees and you know what kind of vehicle do you drive what kind of vehicle do you want to drive in five years or how big do you want your office to be in five years and and all this stuff and you know I'm taking notes and I asked him like hey do you mind if I write this down while you're talking to him and he kind of laughed at me he was like well I recommend you take notes 
<laughs> I was like, absolutely. I appreciate it. And I, I love doing that because, you know, it's, if you want to actively listen, you have to be able to go back and review what you've uh, just received. You know, so I thought for a few seconds on what he had brought to my attention and I looked back at him and I said, okay, before I get started, I recommend you pull out a pen and paper and take notes. Hmm. And he kind of looked at me and like, like, are you kidding me, dude? Like I've been doing this for so many years and you're brand new to this field. And I'm like, yep, I strongly recommend it. So the first question was, what kind of a vehicle do I want to be driving in, in five years? And I told him. Right now, I drive a 2009 Dodge Crew Cab Sport with a Hemi. I was like, in five years, I hope I'm still driving that truck. Why? Because that's the first truck in my life I've ever bought brand new and paid outright. And I told myself, no matter how successful I was by any definition, I will drive that truck until it no longer drives. So, that was the first one. You can probably hear... One of my sons uh, in the background, he's crawling uh, up to my home office area. <laughs> so that goes into my next one. Uh, he asked how big did I want my office to be in five years and what kind of view? So I told him, I was like, in five years, <laughs> I said, in five years, I hope my office is still in my house. And when I look up, I see my children playing and I'm watching them grow. So it was it was all these things that my definition of success and my development where I wanted to be in five years wasn't measured on how much money I've made. And it wasn't measured on the size of building that you know I transitioned my office into, but it was the fact of I was still able to spend time and be with my family. It was understanding where my priorities laid. It was understanding that I recognized what meant most to me and no matter what was going on in my professional life, it was still aligned with my personal life and where I wanted to be personally. You know, I, I like the way you said that because two things come to mind. The first is authenticity, and the second is gratitude. And if somebody's really listening, you'd say active listener. If they don't hear those two things coming out of your mouth, then they're not listening. And uh, I, I appreciate that, authenticity and gratitude. And I could throw in another one, and we could say differentiator. Because you don't hear that from very many people that run their own companies. And uh, personally, I appreciate that. Yeah. It speaks a lot about who you are and, you know, what your modus operandi is. And you're obviously a company that, uh, that needs to be dealt with in a positive way. Yeah, and all that really defines back to trust. If a company understands, if a client or partner understands where my values are and where my priorities align, they're going to clearly understand it's not aligned or valued around the value of a dollar. That's a great point. You know, we won't give away too much about performance stealth because I know one of your business associates is coming up in a few days. And uh, you might want to say something a little bit about that. But I really also want to know what you think freedom is all about. What does it mean to you? Oh, man, freedom goes a, a lot of different directions for me. You know, there's there's obviously a big sacrifice. And uh not too long ago, I was invited out to a high school in uh, Idaho to go talk to a class on, on Veterans Day and what freedom meant and things like that. So I asked uh, a lot of the kids, you know, like, what does freedom mean to you? What does Veterans Day mean to you? Like, what does the national anthem mean and things like that? And those are probably the, the bigger defining points and the, the standard, if you will, and what people think of with freedom. And a lot of them had uh, some various comments, and uh, it was very uh, warming and receiving to hear it. But I'm going to relate this to the NFL um, kind of argument going back and forth with the players taking a knee during the National Anthem in the beginning. 
you know, there's a lot of people that talk about freedom and they talk about sacrifice and understanding what the veteran community has done. And a lot of people that are really upset and feel like there's a lot of anger there and a lot of misunderstanding and things like that. So when I talk about freedom or my understanding of freedom is they're doing what I fought for. They're, 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 you know, arguing uh, a point that they disagree with. They're demonstrating, uh, but there's no violence involved there. There's nothing involved with any kind of physical or, or conflict or anything like that. So that, that's absolutely one way to think of freedom. You know, I, I don't have a problem with what they're doing. I, I agree with it. If you want to do that. Now, what I disagree with is that it's a breach of their contract and you know what they signed on for. And if they want to preach that much, then give all those millions of dollars back. My freedom is across all avenues uh, my time, my finances, my obligations, my family's freedom. What, what do they have access to? Are they able to carry out the things in their day-to-day life that I've worked to provide for them? Have my friends been able to do that? Am I able to impact other professionals and other organizations to practice their freedom and understand and gain their freedoms? Uh, whether it's from a national understanding standpoint of you know the, the wartime situations or financial freedom. Just these, these different things that come into play there, there's so much involved. And to me, there's no way to answer it in just like a one sentence response. There's so much more that goes into that and understanding what that means to any response. I could go on with that forever. Like I said, there's a million different avenues involved with that for me. Some great points. It does mean a lot to so many different people. And I know Nina feels the same way you do about the people that demonstrate or exercise their right to express their feelings about the flag. You know, and we are entitled to that. You know, there's a certain responsibility and you're right. You know, you fought for that. And that's that's a great viewpoint. Yeah, it was funny. Like I was asked a lot, like one of the schools I was uh, looking at going to was an Ivy League up in Connecticut, Yale. And old commander of mine asked me, he was like, hey, Ed, tell me, what are you going to do if you walk up in that campus and you see a bunch of kids burning a flag in front of you? And I was like, holy cow, like I've, I've never really thought about that before. Like I'm, I don't know what I would do thinking, you know, at that point in time, I'm getting ready to go fight ISIS in Iraq with uh, another <laughs> SEAL team. And, you know, so you're, you're getting that preparation ready. Like I'm getting into that zone, if you will, to go lay my life on the line for a cause that is either accepted, not accepted by many understood, not understood by many, but I took on an oath and an obligation. I'm going to do that. So this question was thrown at me, like, what would you do if there was a group of people that were burning the American flag that you fought so much for? And my initial response was, we're going to go toe to toe. I don't appreciate it. I don't like it. I fought for that flag. I laid my life down for that flag and I won't accept it. Complete wrong answer. Complete wrong answer. And I'm glad I didn't open my mouth and say that until I really took time to think about what that meant. So, yeah, you know, talking about the flag, I love the flag. And I think if I ever came across something like that, I would quietly and politely just go pick it up and cradle it in my arms and just walk away. What's the message that you would like to share with civilians about veterans? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There, there's a bunch of different senses. Uh, so we spoke a little bit about the veteran community and taking on the corporate world and what they provide 
you know, to a civilian organization, a business, uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, I think veterans bring a lot. I think they accept a level of responsibility for most at a very young and early age. Uh, many of them straight out of high school, not knowing whether college was an option, not knowing how to take on different opportunities for their growth other than, man, I need to find a way to make money, raise a family, and what am I willing to accept? So very, very upfront fire hose effect on adulthood and responsibility and you know obligations, um, things like this, structure, uh, discipline. Discipline's probably one of the biggest so you take all these things into this professional, this this veteran that they bring to an organization. So I get that to a point and I agree with it to a point. Uh, some of the problems that I see in that some of my partners and I have started to take on and educate is it goes both ways. So it, it's not just what these civilians out there should acknowledge or uh, expect and look towards in a veteran, but it's also what is a veteran acknowledging and, and looking towards their own growth. Mm-hmm. And this is a big piece where I talk about my transition phase and the things that I failed at and the things that I wasn't educated on and that process. There's a lot of companies out there. There's a lot of organizations that just give a veteran a sheet of paper, a pamphlet, and they just give them the answers. And I completely disagree with that because now you're, you're reliant on just a handout. And I think veterans are better than that. I, I think veterans provide more. I think they have the capability to provide more. And I think they should, they should acknowledge this early enough to stand out and stand away from some of these things that are taking place. Um, is that the right answer for a lot of people? Probably not. Um, I'm just saying that if you don't do your, your diligence, if you don't put in the effort, if you don't put in your sacrifice when that time comes in preparation for what's going to come next in your civilian chapter and whatever that career is going to look like, if you just accept a handout and a job offer, <laughs> fail, and you're going to lead that company to failure. And that's the wrong attitude to have. And that's where it starts with the attitude. You have to know up front. You have to be prepared for that. So there's, I, I take a very different approach, and I like that the professionals and partners that have come on board with my view on this see it the same way. And I think we're starting to gain a lot of traction uh, within the veteran community that are starting to lead. Like, hey, you don't always have to rely on an organization. Just be like, oh, you're a veteran? Here you go. Here's $120,000 a year, man. I want everything that you have instilled in my organization because the reality is it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Bottom line is a company wants progress. A company wants your efforts. Just like in the military, you are a tool for them to utilize for their growth and their development. So you need to understand and know how to provide your capability and their structure and how they conduct their day-to-day operations. And it's very, very different. And I see a lot of veterans that move into this and they're in for a very, very rude awakening. Great viewpoint. As, I, as I'm listening, you know, our story is we are about our show is that we're listening to your story and honoring your wisdom. And I'm just, there's so much wisdom that you bring. So you're such an incredible asset. And John and I have had a conversation previously in regards to we learn so much and grow so much within the military. And when we get out that we still have a purpose and there's such, 
not a responsibility, well, maybe it is a responsibility, a responsibility that we have to carry on that purpose and educate and bring along our civilian counterparts. And John even wrote an article about this recently. So you, you pinpoint that out and said it so clearly and, and effectively. We're still on mission. You know, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, has- absolutely. Richardsonstrategy.com is, uh, is our website. It's a really good overlay highlighting uh, what our capabilities are. We have a membership login page and uh, things of that nature. We're on LinkedIn. Our LinkedIn is Richardson Strategy. Uh, Facebook is Richardson Strategy. On Twitter, it's Trust underscore Strategy. Uh, Richardson Strategy wouldn't fit, but it was really good, and I like that it didn't fit because now I was able to highlight trust Mm. and throw that out there. And uh, (laughs) I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not a social media guy, so I'm still learning how that takes place to gain followers by presenting the right content and message. Uh, so it's a work in progress, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Um, we do have a commercial number, 800-560-6959. And uh, then those who know me personally can reach out on the various social media sites and uh, they'll get access to my personal cell phone number if we want to move forward on that. Great. You know, so we really appreciate your time today, Edwin, and uh, being with us on Straight Out of Combat Radio. I do have, you know, I, I weighed 119 when I got out of high school, so I know what that's like. I don't know where it all See came from. About. I do, man. Yeah. But uh, you've definitely enlightened us today. And like Nina points, you've brought some really great things to the table. And I hope those people out there that are listening do understand that you are a person with a lot of heart and soul and a great foundation. And Obviously, you've earned your stripes, so to speak, and we're just so very humbled to have you here with us. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. I appreciate this very much. It's great talking to you guys. It's great networking with you and uh, learning more about what you guys are doing uh, collectively as a community and everything. And we're extremely excited to be a part of that and move forward. Uh, I think it's great for our growth and development to bring other professionals that I just, I don't know, not to be too cliche, but like they just get it. You guys just get it. There, there's a difference between the, um, the majority and the standard and like, well, this is just what takes place. Then those who are just like, uh, I'm not concerned about what takes place. I'm concerned about getting you to your end state and how to do it effectively and efficiently and teach you how to do it. Well, thank awesome. you for that. Thank we're, you. we're not done yet. So we'll see you again. And um, all I can say is very humbled to have you here. Hey, we appreciate it. I'm humble. Thank you for this opportunity. I look forward to talking to you guys some more. Thank you. Before they burn it down.